good afternoon or good morning, whatever time it is for you. We usually record in the morning, but it's in the afternoon now. Welcome to uh, Bumper Sticker Faith. This is episode 91. My name is Sam Key, and I'm joined by my co-host today, uh, Pastor Mike Stanzik. Mike, how are you? Uh, you just cut out, Sam, just for a brief second. What'd you say? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Uh, You're good, Mike. I, I'm assuming you asked me how I am, so I'm yeah. going to go for it. This can be very informal. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm doing well. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, today was my. I just started teaching. You know, just one class a week. It's at a a classical school, yeah. but it's conducted. You know, where I'm I'm not teaching every day of the week. So I, I lecture for one day, and then the rest of the week I'm kind of, you know, um, on emails and stuff with the students. So today was my second. Uh, class. Uh, I'm amazed at how much I love it. Yeah. So that's, that's a, yeah, just a blessing. And uh, they're really pretty extraordinary students at this, at this little, uh, little classical school in, in Barrington. Yeah. So enjoying right. that. I'm excited for you and for those students. My, uh, my own kids went uh, through that school, as you know, and uh, it's exciting to have uh, a teacher like you there. So today, Mike, we're joined by someone whom we both really appreciate uh, his ministry and work, and uh, that is Dr. Hans Borsma. Did I pronounce your last name the right way? You did. Yeah, thank you very much, Sam. Well, welcome to uh, Bumper Sticker Faith. It's uh, great to be with you guys. Thank you for having me. Good. And you're uh, in uh, British Columbia now? Uh, yes, we actually live in British Columbia, although I teach at uh, Neshota House Theological Seminary in uh, in Wisconsin, and I'm there also quite regularly. Now, Neshota House, why, what's the, uh, the, the uniqueness of that seminary? It's an Anglo-Catholic seminary, uh, which for those uh, not familiar with that term, is it's it's Anglican in character, but that, that is to say Anglican with a, with a very much a, a high church a high liturgical understanding of um, of spirituality. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's it's it serves both conservative Episcopalians and the Anglican Church uh, in North America. And you do a lot mm -hmm. of like spiritual formation there too with uh, the students. Yes, we do. Um, it's uh, the the MDiv program is is residential only, so it's strictly a residential program. The mainstay of of the seminary, at least, is strictly residential. Um, and part of the and, and an important part of that is formation. It, we attempt to to teach in as much a Benedictine fashion as possible, which mm. means there's there's work requirements. Mm -hmm. um, there, there are there are uh, formation requirements of all kinds. Um, there's in-depth academic teaching as well. So I love the combination of the Benedictine spirituality uh, along with uh, academic integrity. Mm. Uh, we, we haven't gone along with uh, with an increasing push to to lower the the requirements of the other various programs that we have. So we have a traditional strength in terms of academic integrity. Um, so it's a combination of the mm -hmm. two, really, in terms of spirituality slash formation and academic uh, academic requirements. Wow. Mm -hmm. uh, both Mike and me come from uh, uh, evangelical uh, uh, churches and background and. So most of our listeners uh, are, are evangelical too. And um, I say that because I am excited to have uh, you on the show uh, and to talk about what we're going to um, get into today. 
because um, I I there's like a there's a, a shallowness I think in our context of our tradition, um, a shallowness that um, I think that more, more of the um, the ancient tradition, the medieval tradition too, helps to I guess bolster and, and deepen as well. Actually, I mean, a good example, I was having um, some breakfast with a friend this morning and he's listened to um, some of our podcasts that we've been doing episodes lately. And we've had guys on um, such as Dr. Tom Price from the Theology um, Podcast. And Tom has uh, kind of introduced our listeners to the idea of of the medieval cosmology and these and metaphysics as well. And, and my friend was like, you know, why don't we hear about this stuff? He was totally, you know, enthusiastic about it, but he says, I want to learn more about this. I, I want mm-hmm. more of the depth. Sure. He, he, he yeah. craves it. And, and I yeah. do too. And so it's very much a part of my uh, learning curve uh, as well. And um, yeah, I can relate to that. Um, I've taught at, uh, at evangelical institutions for most of my life, uh, Trinity Western University here in Langley, British Columbia for, for six, seven years, and then for 14 years at Regent College in Vancouver. Um, so the evangelical world is a world I'm, I'm very familiar with. And um, my, my own spiritual slash theological journey is very much one where I've, I've increasingly be- become um, enamored with with the deep tradition of 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 the church over the centuries mm-hmm. including the the metaphysical issues that you briefly yeah to. yeah and that, and that's partly behind like our weird title of the podcast bumper sticker faith because we we don't want to be cliche we don't want to be a bumper sticker but we do want to go we do want to go deeper and, and i totally forgot to introduce you to my um, listeners too. This is uh, Dr. Hans Borsma, who um, is the uh, St. Benedict Servants of Christ Chair uh, in Ascetical Theology at Neshota House. And as you said, you were you were formerly the J.I. Packer Professor of Theology at Regent College, which is is very cool to me. And uh, you ha- you have several uh, over a dozen books, including Five Things Theologians Wish Biblical Scholars Knew. Uh, <laughs> That's one after I learned about that. That could be a, a whole other topic. Um, um, <laughs> Heavenly Participation, fantastic book, which we'll, pro- mm-hmm. we'll, we'll touch on, I hope, today for sure. Uh, and then one of the other ones is Seeing God, which is a book I do want to get into a little today. Uh, the Beatific Vision in Christian uh, Tradition. So I guess with that intro, when we're thinking about... Um, the book seeing god um why did you write the book um two, two reasons i suppose um one one is um a, a a deficiency i think in contemporary theology in terms of reflection on the beatific vision mm-hmm. um we we have increasingly i think a a an, an understanding of the eschaton of the hereafter um, that is sort of patterned on the way we, we, we see things around us today. We just think it'll be better. It'll be more of the same, mm, but better. Yep, yep. Um, and so it's very much of this worldly understanding of, of the hereafter. Um, and, and that is common not only among, let's say, call it laity, mm-hmm. but, but it's common also among, among theologians and, and, and um, pastors and priests. Mm-hmm. 
um, to my mind, that that is is a problem. Certainly, it's discontinuous with with previous tradition. Previous tradition always, as the title of my book indicates, always always thought of um, seeing God mm-hmm. as as our as our aim in life, as our purpose, as our telos. Um, so the the beatific vision, the, the the vision that makes us happy, is what that literally mm-hmm. means. The, the the vision of God Himself, um, nothing created but the creator himself is our, is our ultimate aim god um at least according to to christian tradition for most of the centuries mm-hmm. so i want to um, highlight and- something that you said there a second ago and that was to say yeah when people usually think about uh heaven or or, or going to glory we think there there'll be roads, but they'll just be made of gold, <laughs> or yes. there'll be life, but we'll just have a little bit longer life. So it's it's like more just more of the same, but better, like you said. And I want that to sink yeah. in with people because that's probably their assumption. But you're saying like qualitatively, um, metaphysically, even um, it's or ontologically, it's, it's different altogether, and that's what's in the beatific vision. Yeah, it's it's such as no eye has seen or ear heard. Mm-hmm. It's it's unbelievably different, unbelievably different. Um, it's it's like the Apostle Paul uh, says in First Corinthians fifteen. It's like like a seed going into the ground and coming out as something mm-hmm. unrecognizably different. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there's continuity also with this life. I'm not saying it's something totally different. It would be this body, for example, that will be raised to glory. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely continuity. Um, it's just that we don't understand what that continuity looks mm-hmm. like. So mm-hmm. when, when the scripture talks about, about streets of gold, it uses metaphors taken from this life to talk about something that just, just pops our imagination completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we should not think of the pictures, the metaphors of Revelation 21 and 22 as literal descriptions mm-hmm. of what things are going to be like, um, nor should we be, be thinking of, well, the time-space continuum, the way that we know it today, uh, simply continuing in that same fashion in the hereafter. Um, it, it, we cannot, we cannot find proper human language. God accommodates, God, God adjusts to us. He gives us, through divine revelation, images, adequate language, suitable language, that is, for mm-hmm. us to grow in, in the faith and to, to, to make us long for the hereafter. But, but the reality of it is going to be so much greater. Well, and this is even embedded in the term new creation, you know, that, um, that whatever follows is new, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it's the bringing together in, in some sense of, of heaven and earth. Um, and you could, as you point out in the book, you could make that too terrestrial, you yeah. know, so, so it's even, um, you know, even that language is itself analogical, you know, Absolutely. Uh, to describe the reality that's, that's ahead, um, you know, and so it seems in the book, what you're setting out to do is to demonstrate from Christian tradition, you know, how, how the hereafter has been conceived. And I want to just point out too, for the listeners who are coming from a more evangelical background, you know, when, when someone makes an appeal to Christian tradition, Dr. Borsman, I'm sure this is, you know, uh, unnecessary, obviously, for uh, many of your students, but I just, I just want to 
make sure that, that our listeners understand that like an appeal to tra tra tradition isn't necessarily a repudiation of scripture. What like what none of the magisterial Protestants believe that the church died until 1517. <laughs> you know, like the church has been alive for all this time and reflecting on the scriptures and and still honoring the norming power of the scriptures, but reflecting on it and having these long uh, conversations that expand it's a it's a massive conversation that expands on itself over the years and we uh we renounce those voices at our own peril and so uh and so that's what's so great about the book is that what you what you've really done is um not just uh you know walked through the idea of the beatific vision but engaged authors over the centuries who have been attempting to articulate uh, a right understanding of of what the scriptures mm -hmm. communicate, um, and and some of them obviously you you feel are are nearer to it than others, and you know, um, and the the book acts as a walk through this giant conversation, and it's uh, really well done. Uh, so I want to commend you for for the work. Thank you for that, Mike, and. Um... The way that you talk about the scripture tradition relationship is very helpful. Uh, one one way to to talk about that to talk about tradition uh, would be, I suppose, to say um, tradition is is the interpretation of scripture through the centuries. Yeah, that's not the reading of the one and only thing that to say about tradition or to articulate or to define tradition. But it's one important way in which we can talk about tradition. Tradition is simply the interpretation of scripture through the centuries yes um and and to to not to not look at that when when you when you're asking yourself for example the question well what will be will the hereafter be like to mm -hmm. to simply not look at the way the scriptures have been read before you came around is it would be would be foolhardy it would yeah. not be a prudent thing to do right. so you do want to look at the tradition and you do want to look at what, say, St. Irenaeus or what, what, what um, Bonaventure or what Calvin or whoever thought about these things. Um, and if, if, if our contemporary understanding, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to write this book, if, if our contemporary understanding seems to diverge quite strongly from the way in which the eschaton used to be understood, well, maybe it's time for at least another look mm -hmm. at things. And I, I think it is. And you mention, and you say in your book, uh, like all the like resources and volumes of material from the church fathers and from the tradition we have about the beatific vision. And here's the part that really gets me. And that's like, I can have uh, breakfast with my friend and I can say the words beatific vision and neither of us know what in the world they're talking about. And in the, in the, in the amount of volumes that we have from the contemporary church on the beatific vision is very, very slim. In fact, yes. like I've never heard a sermon on glorification. I've never heard a sermon on the beatific vision. I've never heard a, not, not even one sermon on those, let alone a book or volumes and volumes and volumes. So there was something about, I mean, that to me even indicates that their cosmology, their worldview was fundamentally different <laughs> for them to be able to concentrate and focus uh, on this, whereas we don't, because things have changed. 
Yeah, my experience is exactly the same, Sam. Um, when I talk to people, when, when I was writing the book, you know, people typically, in terms of small talk, they'll ask you, so what are you working on these days? And, and I would say, well, I'm, I'm working on the beatific vision. And I, I, I got reactions I never had before when I worked on any other project. Yeah. And it's 600 pages long. Exactly? <laughs> yeah. Like there's, well, what exactly? There's plenty of are it. Are you talking about? Yeah. Um, what, what is that? So, so that's, that's a remarkable thing. And uh, considering many of our, our listeners are, are evangelical listeners, um, it's, it's perhaps good to keep in mind that uh, it's not just the pre-modern period or the Roman Catholic uh, tradition or Orthodox tradition that looks to the beatific vision as, as our final end. Uh, but it was, it was the common, the unanimous consent uh, among the reformers uh, mm. and, and in the post-reformation period among the puritans um throughout this throughout the christian tradition uh, until rather recently frankly mm -hmm. um, why, do you, why do you think that change has occurred do you have um speak to that uh, and, and then after yeah, that yeah. let's just define what the beatific vision is you know yes after, yes, yes. after that question <laughs> if we can yes yeah um to the extent that we can. So, so um, I, I don't know, uh, Mike, that I could point to one, one particular factor only. Um, I, I do think um, that one, let me point out two aspects. One is, um, I, think, I think the change in our eschatology, the, the, the removal of the beatific vision from our, from our horizons has, is in some sense modernity come home to roost. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so wherever the causes of modernity lie, I think in the same place you'll also find the causes of the loss of the beatific vision. Um, what modernity basically does is it wants to make us home in at home in this world, happy with the things that we have, um, and not look for any sort of otherworldly cause for them. Not f look for any other final cause or purpose for them. Simply look at the things themselves and be at home with them um, and enjoy them as ultimate. Um, that is fundamentally at odds with the, with the Christian faith, from my mm -hmm. understanding of it. And, and um, over time, I think um, you'll find that if you, if you intend to remain a Christian, and, and nonetheless you're deeply influenced by these modern uh, pre presuppositions, um, you're going to reconceive eschatology as well. So that, mm. that's the the, the the main thing, perhaps, I'd want to say. And the second thing is, um, and here I have some criticism of, of, the, of my own tradition in which I grew up. I grew up as a Calvinist within a neo-Calvinist context. Um, and I think um, neo-Calvinism has been tremendously influ influential, not only among among uh, certain groups of, of reformed theologians, but but within evangelicalism more broadly. And um, in my book, I point to, to Hermann Bavring as, as mm -hmm. a, a well-known reformed theologian, 20th century Dutch theologian, um, who's quite critical of the way in which the beatific vision has functioned uh, through the centuries. Um, he, he, he doesn't quite write it off, but, but associates it mostly through his writings uh, with the Roman Catholic tradition. Um, which I, th I think gives it gives it um, gives people an excuse to 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 let go of it altogether, 
Um, in the introduction of the of the book, I, I highlight two theologians, both the Roman Catholic theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar and the Reformed theologian uh, Hermann Bavinck, as as both in different ways being critical of the beatific vision, and and the underlying reason for both has to do with um, a desire to keep the things that we have here and now, the concrete particular things that we have here and now, to to continue to have those as well in the hereafter, to continue to look forward to 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 enjoying those in the hereafter. Hmm. So maybe you can unpack what the beatific vision is a little bit more. So you summarize it as seeing God, but maybe you can kind of unfold the uh, the origami a little bit. Yes, uh, let me try. So the, the term beatific comes from two Latin terms, beatus and facere. Beatus simply means blessed or happy, which is one and the same thing, blessed or happy, beatus. And then facere, Latin term, uh, meaning to make. So to make happy. Um, Jonathan Edwards often talk, talks about uh, the happifying, mm. uh, happifying vision of God, well, um, which, I, which, which is an odd English term, of course, but, but a really good uh, uh, rendering of, of, of beatific. Uh, the beatific vision is the vision that makes us happy. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now, of course, we don't want to think of happiness the way you and I, as modern people, typically think of happy as in this really sort of shallow fashion. No, yeah. it's happiness in the deepest possible manner that we can think of happiness. In fact, it, it, it is such a deep happiness that 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 we can that it's a happiness that we can only can associate ultimately only with God Himself. Um, according to 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 many Christian theologians through the centuries, God is happiness. Um, God God is supremely happy. Not just is he a supremely happy quote unquote individual person. No, God is what happiness is like. God is truth. God is being. God is goodness. God is beauty. God is also happiness. Um, so when you and I are happy, say we find happiness uh, of, of some sort of incipient kind in walking our dog for a daily mm-hmm. walk in the morning, it makes us makes us feel pretty good. At least it does me. I love my dog. So I'll go t- take my dog for a walk, and it 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 genuinely does make me happy to do that. And and, and you can all think of your own individual uh, examples of of things that make you happy. That already, those those ordinary things already, um, um, give a happiness that 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 is a participation, an initial participation, in ultimate happiness, mm-hmm. namely God Himself. Now, I, I I don't want to make this 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 um, uh, I I don't want in saying that I don't want to downplay in any way the happiness. Uh, that we will finally have in in meeting God Himself face to face, but but what what it does do that example of, of of walking the dog? What it does do is it shows that there is is not a separation between, but a continuity of nature and the supernatural, the things that we experience here and now, and, and the things around us, and our eternal happiness in God Himself. And when we see God face to face. The glorification that you talked about earlier, Sam. When when we see God face to face, uh, we experience a happiness that that only God can can give, uh, that nothing else can give. 
that's why be that's ultimately I think why beatific vision was so central to the Christian tradition. Um, for for if you say, for example, that walking my dog is going to make me ultimately happy, you know, this worldly thing mm-hmm. like walking my dog is going to give me ultimate happiness. You're sitting, as, as C.S. Lewis would put it, you're setting your sights pretty low. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that that's not that's not very good. Yeah. Uh, it's not it's not it's not something to be ignored or or poo pooed. It's just that it's it's pretty pretty small. It's and genuine. That and that would be true even if you're setting your sights on changing the world and achieving unprecedented wealth and you know all those things. Lewis, all cons- those things. All those things. You're you're setting your sights too low. And you're setting spe- your sights too low. Speaking of setting your sights, why is it vision <laughs> sight? Why isn't it the beatific sound or the beatific yeah. feeling? Yeah. Um, now, now let me let me first say the, the the question is a really good one and and not an easy one, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, let, let me first say that that when, when I when you talk about vision, um, you, you're using you're using a metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, you're using a metaphor um, for for union with God in Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. You're using a metaphor for what um, what is also often called deification or divinization, mm-hmm. um, sharing in the characteristics of God. That is the happiness of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the point is not that well we in in the hereafter God is sitting on a throne, say a literal throne, and and you and I hopefully and 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 lots of others. We'll be standing in front of the throne, looking at God. Um, uh, sometimes the criticism of, of the doctrine of the beatific vision mm-hmm. is that it, that it creates a distance between God and us. Uh, that's, for example, Hans Urs von Balthasar's mm-hmm. criticism of it. He says so, it's not it's not that, 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 that such a great great understanding of the hereafter. He so says we're like it creates the, treating God as an just an object that we're looking on. So right, okay, yeah. God is one object to look at. Mm-hmm. God is not one object among many objects. God is being itself. Mm, yeah. Um, not a being among many beings. So the very idea that, that God could be one individual and, and us would and, and we would be standing there sitting mm-hmm. there looking at him as, as an object is 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 quite preposterous. Yeah. So, really. so that's you, you not the literally. beatific vision. It's not the yeah. beatific vision. That's very helpful. Yeah. So if if it's and you might want to follow up with the question well, if it's only a metaphor why, why focus on this one so much right yeah um uh, and well there's a verse that kind of captures this too first uh john 3 2 it says when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is so based on what yeah. you just said that already helps me with that verse because i'm thinking to myself uh, why, John, are you saying because we see God, then suddenly I'm going to become like God, like like my uh, my my very being is going to change. So there has yes. to be more that's going on than merely me from a distance, as you said, objectively uh, looking at God, because this vision has to do with my, uh, I guess, ontology, my being changing. Yes, Absolutely. Um, blessed are the pure in heart. Same thing, right? Yeah. Matthew wow. five eight is the same as John first John three two. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Um, 
a purity is required to see God and, and, and vision of God in turn purifies us. Um, mm. it's, it's cyclical in other words. So, so it has everything to do with an ontological change with, with, with the change in, of, of, of who we are. Um, now, 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 why vision and, and, and not, not some, some other, uh, some other, um, way of uh, hearing, smelling, whatever, mm. one of the five senses, why not, why not another one? Um, one is the, the kind of thing that you're already allude, alluding to by quoting first John three, two, it's, it's so important in scripture mm -hmm. vision. It's, it's all over the scriptures from the very beginning. I mean, at some point in the book, I, I hmm. talk about uh, Moses yeah. and, and, and his desire to see God and God, you know, and, and him in, at some point it says in Exodus 33 that he, he sees God uh, face to face. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and then Moses is still not satisfied. <laughs> and he says, yeah, but, but and he again asks, you know, Lord, I, 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 I want to see thee. And, and, and God says, well, you can, see, you can see my back, but, but no man can see me and live. Right. I mean, th those are, those are powerful descriptions. So even though he has already seen the face of God, um, God says, yeah, but you cannot see my face, which raises all sorts of questions. Well, if you've already seen the face, mm -hmm. how, how can you ask for more and how can it be denied? Uh, mm -hmm. Those questions, of course, that as you can imagine, that people have, have, have reflected on through the centuries. And so it's there, it's there in the book of, I mean, it's there before. All the way back to Genesis, where God saw what he made and said it was good. Yes. And then when Adam and Eve saw the you know the fruit in the garden, so sight is like you said, it's 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 a theme, major theme. that you see in, in the book of, of Genesis, um, uh, say Genesis 18, Abraham seeing the, the, the three visitors, uh, and Jacob, Peniel, all, all, all those sorts of appearances of God, those theophanies, um, have to do with, with God in some way, quote unquote, showing himself uh, uh, to his people and people seeing him in some, in some fashion. Uh, and that runs throughout the scriptures. Um, so, and, and, and St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, 12 picks up on that when he says that now we only see in part, but then we shall see him again mm -hmm. face to face, exact same language that, that, um, um, the, the book of Exodus used. So, um, one reason for the centrality of, of vision is, is that it's, it's prominence, prominent in scripture um another reason i suppose for its for its prominence um and and a reason why it's not only christians who who who, who thought of 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 beatific vision but all, but even pagan philosophers did mm -hmm. uh such as plotinus for example he talks about about uh, he uses the language of, of beatific vision um it, it it has to do i suspect um, with, with the fact that vision um, 
does things that none of the other senses does. Mm. Um, it gives us a, 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 a full grasp of many things. Whereas when, you, when I'm listening to you, and if, if, if say, Sam and Mike, mm. you both are talking at the same time, I'm tuning out. I can't, I can't take it in. But, hmm. but, but vision allows me to see you both at the same time. I'm looking at you both on my screen right now. And I, if I look above the screen, I see the, the street in front of me, etc. I see all these things at once. So th- there is a comprehensive character to it. And perhaps most importantly, what, what vision does, at least according to the ancient world, and I think they were onto something really, really important here. What vision does is um, it, it identifies you with the object of your vision. That is to say, the object of your vision becomes part of you. Now, this requires a bit of metaphysics. So if you have time, yeah. I'd love to unpack that a bit. Mm-hmm. So, so for, for, for much of, of let, let, let me put it this way, you could understand an object, say, say a tree. Now, let me take the dog again as an example. Take my dog, Penny, and 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 I mean she has she has a canine characteristic. She has a dogness about herself. There's a form of the dog, um, and and it's unmistakable in 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 my, in my dog that she is in fact a dog. Mm-hmm. There's a form. Now, when I look at her, that form of canonity of dogness um, implants itself, as it were, in my mind. Um, so that um, the, the, the Platonic idea of form of dog, which is in, in the eternal word of God, in God himself, and which is also present in the dog, now is present also in my mind. Mm-hmm. So the beauty of observation, of vision, is that these, these three modes in which the idea of dog is present, namely in God, in the dog, and in my mind, that they that they cohere. Mm-hmm. That, that that I mean, in our, in our late modern, postmodern world, that's that's bizarre talk. But but if somebody, what wanted, it, to what it, for, if somebody wanted to sorry. delve into that more, um, you know, what you're referencing is the the, the nominalist debate about um, sort of wh- where where we derive categories from. Right. Are are things what what they are because we perceive the thing and we create an arbitrary category for it, which is really solely in the mind, or is there actually a thing called a dog? You know, and, exactly. and you know, or uh, what we call a dog, but it's, there actually is something that we're naming, you know, and if there, it really is something that we're naming, then it exists beyond the idea of it, you know, so right. it doesn't just exist in so far as I in my mind categorize it. It exists. Right. I'm, I'm not constructing reality, is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. I'm not constructing reality. But what if I what if I've never seen it, a dog before, though, and I have no pattern for dog in my, in my head, but but I see a dog, and you say that it's a dog, but now suddenly I have I have that in my head, and so then in that sense, do I, you know quote unquote, create the dog, because n- now whenever I see the dog, I, I know it's a dog. Well, that, that might, I think that's a little bit of a category confusion. Sorry, this okay. is an interview. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping in. 
like I think it's a category confusion because you're really at that point you're really talking about the scope of your knowledge about okay. reality. You're not the the discussion is about just to clarify. It was a long clarification. I apologize, but the discussion <laughs> is about whether there are things functionally in the mind of God, whether reality exists ultimately because God is actively sustaining it and underwriting its very being. He's donating existence to these things. So he donates Penny as a dog, you know, like as, as a thing, which is, which is, has its own kind in the mind of God. Yeah. To your question, Sam, a little more to your question. Uh, It's fascinating to me. We have two grandkids living with us in our basement and, um, and um, the, the youngest is, is, is one year old now and loves, loves our dog. And now when we take him for, for a walk, when my, wife, when my wife and I take him for, for a walk and he sees another dog across the street, he'll, he'll, he'll say, you know, dog, dog. <laughs> like, it, it, it's, it's amazing, actually, mm-hmm. um, how, how God has created us in such a way that, that we do discern these, these patterns and that these patterns are real, therefore, rather than simply constructed by, by ourselves. Hmm. Now, in terms of how this relates to the beatific vision, why, the question was, right, why beatific vision? <laughs> um, um, the, the point here is that, that um, when we, when we um, see something, um, the object becomes in some manner part of us. It enters into us. We identify with it. And, and, and we take it into ourselves. Um, so it is never, even in ordinary vision, it's not a matter of you have an object out there and I'm down here and, and, and we're completely separate from each other. That sort of substance metaphysic is, 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 is as far as I'm concerned, already out. No, because when, when I see an object, the object becomes part of me. Now that's both really encouraging and really dis- disconcerting mm-hmm. because it, it, it now becomes really important what what you allow to enter your field yeah. of vision and what you what you keep mm. out um because wh- whatever you see becomes part of you it shapes you it forms you um and that's you, that's obvious to anyone who has witnessed violence right you're never the same person after you witness yeah. something really horrific PTSD is has 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 everything to do with the, the kind of things that 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 you have that you have seen. Yeah. I mean, there's two fields, especially right, sexuality and violence, where where these are are really really important things. Yes. Um, but even in more mundane things. Yeah. Um, um, if if this if this life is 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 preparation for death. Mm. That is to say, if it is preparation, not for death itself, but if right. it is preparation for, for the hereafter, for seeing God face to face, then our vision, the things that we see, should be training for that. It should equip us for, it should purify us, so that mm. purified, we are able to see God. Only the pure in heart shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see mm. God. Well, we, we, our, our vision is, 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 is a filter. Mm-hmm. And, and and what what comes in can can and should prepare us. Okay, so that us. let's key off that word preparation for, for yep. let's shift to that because part of what you're saying too 
that I want is is foundational to your to your, your argument to the beatific vision is we have a telos. Humans have a telos. Yes. And again, if I go into my church and say, "Hey, we have a telos," no one will know what I'm talking about. Basically, sure. Um, so, and because we have a telos, we are so define what that is. But because we have a telos, we are being prepared for that telos. Telos simply means purpose or end or okay. aim, something like that. A uh, very ordinary word. So, um, and, and we all know about ends or purposes or, 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 or goals. Um, we have them all the time, right? Um, mm-hmm. I have a goal of writing a book and, and, and lo and behold, it just got finished before the deadline. Mm-hmm. We have goals all the time in, in, in life for all sorts of things. And that's a good thing too. Otherwise we'd be wandering aimlessly. So goals are goals are inherently a good thing, and most of us recognize that um, in in our day to day activities. Although it's become more difficult, I think for for yeah. for. But 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 thankfully, we still, in many ways, have have goals in life, have telloi in life, purposes. Um, now, now, um, the way though in which we understand a telos or a purpose has changed drastically over time. So when, when you and I talk about having an aim, I'll say, okay, I set as my goal for today, X or Y, and I construct that goal and I can either make it or not make mm-hmm. it. All of our goals, the way we talk about them, all of our telloi, the way we talk about them, um, today at least, are like that. They're self-constructed goals. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and that's all, that's the only thing we have in terms of goals. Mm-hmm. Um, the ancients, um, yeah. deriving, deriving this from, from Aristotle, the ancients, ancients had four causes. We don't need to go into all four of them, but I want to just highlight one of them, final cause. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. a final cause is the telos, the purpose. Now, when we think of a final cause, the thing that maybe pops in our mind is, well, you know, my final cause for today is that I'll make it without making too many huge bloopers. <laughs> um, that's my final final. That's my final aim, final. But but you see, for the ancients, for for Aristotle, the final cause was actually a cause. If it, it has mm. a, it has it has a a strength. It, you could compare it to a magnet. Like um, a magnet attracts. So a magnet is the, at the end. Mm. At the end, if I hold my magnet here and the little metal object here, the the, the metal object just chung, goes mm. there. It's, it's attracted to it. There's a natural appetite, is what mm. Aristotle calls it. There's a natural appetitus, natural appetite of that thing toward the, the object. According to Aristotle, um, the, 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 the magnet, say, to use my own image here, the magnet functions as a cause. It, it attracts the object. Which, it, like, before you continue, which is an oxymoron. Like, the, the term's final cause is like saying jumbo shrimp, right? Because you have for final, today, final us, which yeah. is at the end, but cause, which is usually at the beginning. Like, what caused exactly. you to do this? So, exactly. yeah, continue. So, so when, when we think cause, we typically, as moderns, think of an efficient cause. Something that, you know, stands at the beginning, not at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, for for Aristotle, no, there is yeah, there is such a thing as an efficient cause. But there's also a final cause. Mm-hmm. And earlier we talked about ideas and forms and so on, right? Uh, forms, 
or the caninity dogness. There's also a formal cause. That, the, what, what makes a dog a dog? Well, the dogness. That's the formal <laughs> cause of the dog. And there's material things. Things are made of matter, material causes. So there's these four causes, according to ancient conceptions, four causes. You and I, no, let me not say you and I, because hopefully you didn't, and I certainly don't want to, but, but we have largely in modernity cut out two of them. We, we've cut out formal and final causality, which are very closely linked to each other. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've cut those out and we've only kept the cause that lies at the beginning, efficient cause, and, and the thing and the material from which something is made, mm-hmm. material cause. We've got those. But to go back to final cause, if it's if it has a power of itself, it attracts. So a dog has an instinct to mate, for example, mm-hmm. an instinct for food yep. that's natural to it. It's a, it's a natural appetite for that. Mm-hmm. So so everything according to this conception, everything acts in line with the telos, the final cause that it that it is geared toward. That's natural. The natural desire, you could say, natural desire. Um, uh, for, um, trying to think of another example here. Um, there's a natural desire for the frog to be in the water, uh, for the fish to be in the water. Mm-hmm. It's natural to it. You, you put a fish on, 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 on the ground and it'll die. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it will naturally gear toward the water. Um, there are natural, there are final causes that attract and, and that, that all things move toward. Now, you and I have reason. Um, so, so our natural appetite is a, is a rational one, thankfully, in line with, with the will, the free will that God gives us. Now, um, if, if the end, the telos of human beings is, is God himself, seeing God, if that's, our, if that's the, the way God has made us so that our natural end is the supernatural end of seeing God. So, and that's then, the magnet that's drawing us. Then God is the magnet okay. that draws us. And now we can resist that. We often do, but but God through His Spirit um, continues to reach out to us and to draw us to Himself. Um, and so there is, as people often called it in, in the Christian tradition, there's a natural desire for the beatific vision. Now we obstruct that often through our own sinful ways, but that's how God has made us. So the final cause, God Himself, as our end. Um, is for Christians then really important. You cut out final cause, and we literally start either wandering around aimlessly, as mm-hmm. we don't have to look around us or look inside of ourselves to see our own wandering spirit, mm-hmm. or or we're, we're we're constructing our own ends. And the difficulty that and that's typically what we do in, moder- in modernity. We construct our own ends. The difficulty with that is we no longer have common ends because right. we're self-constructed. You're self-constructed, and so it's very difficult to live together if you don't if you don't have a common end toward which we we, we, we all aim, at which we all aim. And this is uh, the idea of being pulled like a magnet to God. Um, this is why it's the beatific vision, why why it's the happifying vision. You know, um, 
to go back to the earlier point about, well, yeah, I walk my dog. It makes me happy. You know, I, I go fishing. It makes me happy. Um, hmm. You know, the, the ancients thought of happiness as the fulfillment of, of not just your desires in kind of an imminent sense, but a happiness is the fulfillment of your purpose. Happiness is the, is the acting out of your telos. And so if we are made for God, then it, it is in uh, realizing that reception of God and being received by him, knowing him and being known by him, seeing him. That is the fulfillment of our purpose, and therefore that's the apex of human happiness. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. So, in uh, the, no, go ahead, Mike. Sorry, I have to pick up my kids. So I have to jet a little bit early. Okay. Uh, I apologize. Not very professional. Um, no, oh my God. Yeah, great to talk to you. And uh, I don't know if you're going to be at the Touchstone Conference this year. But, I will uh, not be there, unfortunately. Oh, uh, tragic. Well, yes, I appreciated your talk last year. Well, Thank thanks, you. guys. It was a joy meeting you. You too. All right. See you, Mike. See, See ya. you, Mike. All right. We're at... I guess in the time that we have, um, so back to that first John three, two verse that says, when we see him, we'll be like him. So I see two things that are part of this thing that's drawing us seeing God right in the full way that we talked about, but then being like him too, having that change in us, like those two things are drawing us, seeing him being like him. That's what's, that's what's drawing us. That's what's drawing believers. And if so, then you say in your book, which is so helpful, that God is uh, apprenticing us right now towards that. So for God to love us, be at work in our lives, care for us, he'll, he'll be nurturing that, that revelation of himself, that final, that draw right now. Right. Um, I think that's helpful. And I guess how, like, how does God do that? Because you're saying that we need to learn to see God now, like uh, 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 in a smaller way. Uh, and we need to learn to be like God now in, in small ways. So how does God uh, apprentice us in that? And what can people look for in their own lives? That's a great question. Thank you for that, Sam. Um, the, 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 a couple of things about that. One is um, God always acts in, in line with who we are, with our capacities. Um, uh, John Chrysostom uh, and, and John Calvin, picking up from, from John Chrysostom, not accommodating himself, not stooping down, as it were. And Bab God, as, as Calvin puts it, babbles with us. Like he, like he talks to his kid, like mm -hmm. we, like we talk to our kids, God babbles to us, um, and and so so uh, when God apprentices us, um, he he takes on as a good teacher would, um, takes takes on uh, or approaches us at the level at which he he as it were encounters us. So um, just because I am I, I am feeling unworthy, sinful in many ways. Um, or because I feel, well, I'm, I'm not much of a theologian like the guy that's sitting next to me. Mm. Um, how, how am I supposed to do these things? Um, it's, it's completely irrelevant. Yeah. Um, God, God, is, God is 
different sizes of cups, you could also say, different sizes of cups, small ones, big ones, um, differently shaped ones, all sorts of them. And he fills them all according to capacity. Beatific vision um, means that every cup is going to be full. Mm. Uh, every cup is going to be filled. Um, so, so there's never, I mean, I'm no Mother Teresa. Um, and, 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 but, but I do know that in the hereafter, um, uh, God pr has promised that, that um, my cup will be full, much like her cup will be full. Mm -hmm. um, is her cup more glorious than mine? Well, no doubt it is. Uh, no doubt it is. But, but that doesn't mean I'm, I won't be fully happy. I will be, I will be, so, so God apprentices us, um, as, as, as St. Thomas Aquinas puts it, in, in, according to the mode of the recipient, mm -hmm. in, in line with how we are. Um, I think that's really important. It, that, that helps us not to be discouraged, but simply to get started where we are. Um, and, and the second, totally different kind of, a, totally, but quite a different kind of thing that, that I should maybe say about this, um, is um, that that God uses a variety of means, pedagogical tools, as it were. Mm -hmm. um, um, God uses often, if we grow up in a Christian family, uh, first of all, our parents, mm -hmm. um, the prayers that they teach us, the stories they tell us, etc., etc. Um, God uses most significantly, perhaps, the church. Mm -hmm. It is the body of Christ, yeah. and it is the great sacrament in this in, in, in this world. So God uses the church uh, to draw us into his presence. And, and that, and in particular, there we need to think of the word and and the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. Those are the two key, two key um, means of grace, as they're often called. Two, two key means of grace um, that God in his pedagogy uses to, to, to teach us and to, to draw us into his his divine life, um, and then there are many other means of grace. You know, small small m perhaps, but but nonetheless, right? All sorts of means of grace, friendships, um, uh, difficult circumstances that we that we encounter, um, anything really in life that happens to us, we sh we, we we should treat as what is God saying to me here? I am this person. And rather than me complaining about what's happening to me, yeah, my pain may be horrible and very understandable that I'm acting the way that I am, perhaps. But I must ask myself why, or how rather, uh, how, 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 how can this be a means of grace to me? Now, it may not always, not always be easy to, 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 to respond to a situation like that. Um, but, but to my mind, that is... I, I'm convinced that that is ultimately um, how God intends for for intends for us to meet whatever circumstance we encounter in life. Yeah. And when um, you get when you get grace from God, you're seeing Him because He's a gracious God. Yeah. yeah. Pe people sometimes think, well, I, I haven't had some sort of mystical experience. Mm -hmm. You know, I haven't had. I'm not a contemplative. Um. So, 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 if I don't experience that now, will I experience it then? And and what what you're saying is is something that I often say as well. 
in, in response. Um, yeah, some people do have very particular and special um, contemplative experiences um, through their reading, meditative reading of scripture, through particular circumstances, whatever. And that's a great blessing. But um, there's also such a thing as what Maximus the Confessor calls natural contemplation. Fusike um, theoria, uh, natural contemplation. Um, it, it, it is through observing the things around us by means of friendships with others, and perhaps even by discovering God's grace in our own lives, yeah. seeing it at work in our own lives, that we're saying, yes, we see something of God here. Thank mm -hmm. you, Lord. Um, so there's, there's, we need eyes to see those things. I think. Yeah, eyes to see. It goes right back to that right. because our yeah. uh, scientism and our materialistic world wants us only it doesn't want us to think of the, the purpose and the telos uh, uh, and, and God in things. And yeah. so we're blinded to it and we walk around not very encouraged. Many, many of the ordinary things in life um, are actually um, um, presence, the presence of God's grace, theophanic presence, presence of God in our lives, the beginning, in other words, of, of, the eternal presence of God with us in the hereafter, absolutely. Yeah, I, I remember an interview I heard with uh, Dr. Ian McGilchrist, um, and I mean his massive works, and it was a long interview, and you know he was talking <laughs> uh, very high, you know, um, intellectually, yeah. and the interviewer towards the end said to him, asked him, but if you could just boil it down for the average person, like all your work, all this research. Uh, what would it have people do? And he said three things. He said, research has proven that if you have these three things in your life, if you are connected with nature, if you're connected to a spiritual community, and if you're connected with people, with a community, then th that will do you better than if you, if you, if you're uh, overweight and lose weight, if you stop smoking and, you know, he says that those three things will do way better than all these other uh, things that we try to chase after. And those three areas, you can see, you can see God in those areas, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess. And, and to my, yeah, go. Um, well, yeah, to, and, and to my knowledge, Ian McGilchrist is not a Christian, is he? Yeah, no, and, that's and right. Less points to these things. That's right. Yeah. 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 So to close, um, how is the, what is the beatific vision as you've um, um, learned more about it and, and have grown in it? How has it impacted uh, your life and your ministry, your relationships? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, the, at the very beginning, you asked me the question, why did I write the book? Mm -hmm. And I gave you one of the two reasons why I, why I wrote it. Um, the, the second reason, I suppose, is that um, if, if the beatific vision is our end, then I, I wanted to know more about it for my, for, for my own spiritual purposes. Um, I, I guess you study what you love. Mm. And, and I, I, I wanted to know more about what God, the, the, the quote-unquote place where God wants to take me. Yeah. Um, and... Um, um, what 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 it has done is um, 
uh, nothing drastic over, over overnight. Um, but increasingly, I, I think over the past number of years, um, I, I find meditation, I find quiet meditation on scripture mm. more important in my life. Mm. I find prayer more important. Now, maybe, maybe this is simply a matter of me getting older. That's, mm. and, and I suspect and that may not be a bad thing. It may be part of it. But, um, um, the frenetic activity that, you know, used to possess me as it were. Yeah. And, and, and again, maybe that was a good thing, but that that's, that's changing in me. I've noticed. And I've become more, more at home with, with solitude, more at home with, with, with silence. Um, and yeah, maybe that's, that's in a, in its own small way, preparation for, you know, preparatio uh, preparation for, for, for eternal life with God I'm not sure I, I suspect that it is I hope that it is um, and uh, again I don't want to give the impression that this study has radically changed me mm-hmm. or transform, transformed me uh, it hasn't it's part of a journey for me mm-hmm. um, but but it, I do think it has been one one step in, in that journey yes yeah well I love that because those are humble things and like, it's not like that's anything to boast about. Um, as far as, uh, boasting would be saying, well, you know, learning about this, it's enabled me to write more, travel more, all these other kind of ego things, but, uh, it's enabled you to be quiet (laughs) and to reflect on God and to do these more, these humble, humbler, slower, uh, things. I think. Yeah, yeah, that that may be true. Um, cer- certainly, the beta vision should, and, and the promise of the beta vision shouldn't be cause for boasting. Cannot possibly be. Yeah. Um, we we don't attain the beta vision on our own strength, and 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 the means that God puts in our way toward it are are are, are His gifts, uh, pure and simple, yeah. and 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 we hold up our hands as beggars. Yeah. Um, I'll read 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. So that's God transforming us, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Yeah, Yeah. degree by degree. It's part of of a beautiful, beautiful chapter, end of a beautiful chapter about, about, you know, us turning toward the Lord. And and all this, as 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 the Apostle Paul says there, and as you just emphasized too, all of that through the working of, of, of the Spirit who writes writes God's God's laws in our hearts. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Good. Well, thanks thanks for uh, being on the uh, podcast today. Thanks for taking time, and I uh, hope people are encouraged by this. And I encourage people to um, to get the book, uh, Seeing God. And you can learn more about Dr. Borsma at hansborsma.org. That's B-O-E-R-S-M-A dot org. And uh, this has been episode 91. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, To learn more, you can go to bumperstickerfaith.com. And we'll see you next time.